Well, we come to that time of year again when the latest lamb advertisement comes out. Tis the season to be stoking up the barbecue and throwing on some lamb cutlets. This year we're reminded of the un-Australian and the rules around what it means to be Australian and the consequences of being un-Australian. So if you're invited to a barbecue, then it's well worth remembering that there is a certain amount of etiquette that is involved. Cadbury's reminds us that we are never to arrive empty-handed, even when we're told not to bring a thing. And the most significant rule of all is you never touch the barbecue tongs, let alone start flipping um, the food and cooking that's cooking on the barbecue. That is for the tong master. That is for the person running the barbecue. No one else touch those tongs. The barbecue can be on fire. You leave the tongs alone. You alert the person to the fire. You don't touch the tongs. That is as un-Australian and a sure way not to be invited back to a barbecue. The perils of being un-Australian have me wonder a little bit about whether there's a similar challenge for us today about what it means to be un-Christian. Let me pray. Jesus, as we take some time to reflect on your word, on, on uh, taking some time to reflect on the culture of your day and what it meant for you to be taking on human flesh and blood, being a part of a nation and then giving your life in sacrifice to help people to have a restored relationship with you. Lord, today as we delve into your word, would you also speak to our hearts? Would you remind us of who you are and the importance of having a personal relationship with you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. According to McCrindle Research, an Australian researcher, um, when it comes to Australians and their negative perceptions around Christians and the church, several of the top ten centre around legalism, forms of hypocrisy, judging others, authoritarian style, religious wars, all these different things. And they kind of all can get summed up in this legalistic approach to being a Christian. As followers of Jesus, these are issues that we need to grapple with. And they are challenges for us today, just as legalism was a challenge in Jesus' day as well. If you've got your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 2. In Mark's record of the life of Jesus, Mark introduces um, very early on this rising level of conflict between those focused on the law and Jesus' call to follow his lordship. Reading from Mark chapter 2, verse 23, through to chapter 3, verse 6, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. If you've got a different translation, I'm sure you'll be able to follow on quite well. Mark, 20, Mark 2.23 On the Sabbath day, as Jesus is walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, Haven't you ever read in the Scriptures 
what, G, uh, what David did when he and his companions were hungry. He went into the house of God during the days when Abiathar was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Then Mark continues in chapter 3. Jesus went in to the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is it a day to save a life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. What on earth is going on here? And why is Jesus ticking off the religious leaders so much that by the end of this passage, they're already starting to plot how they can kill Jesus? History, rightly or wrongly, has an interesting way of defining culture. So let's do a brief history lesson on the Sabbath, the seventh day. Well, in Genesis 2, uh, verses 1 to 3, it says, So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Later on, when God is giving the Ten Commandments to uh, um, his people, a nation that he had formed, and and, um, the Bible talks about almost being like he gave birth to this nation, the fourth commandment was to keep the Sabbath. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11, remember to observe the Sabbath and keep uh, Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your your household may do any work. This includes your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and even including any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the seventh day and set it apart as holy. But unfortunately, as time went on, God's people broke so many, if not all, the laws, including worship of idols, child sacrifice, ritual prostitution, and not keeping the Sabbath. 
God warned them in Leviticus 26 verse 34 that as a punishment for their rebellion against God and his laws that they would be exiled from the land and the land would then get its Sabbath rest that it should have had. Then at last the land will enjoy its neglected Sabbath years as it lies desolate while you are in exile in the land of your enemies. Then the land will finally rest and enjoy the Sabbaths it missed. The prophet Jeremiah repeatedly warned the people that if they didn't change their behaviour and follow God's laws, then the consequence would be that they would be exiled. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, 37, uh, chapter 36, 17 to 21, it speaks about how the Jewish nation was conquered by the Babylonians. And in verse 20, it says this, The few who survived were taken as exiles to Babylon, and they became servants to the king and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. So the message of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah was fulfilled. The land finally enjoyed its Sabbath rest, lying desolate for 70 years um, until the 70 years were fulfilled, just as the prophet had said. Following the 70 years of exile, around 50,000 Jews returned to Judah and they saw the impact of the destruction of war, having to start afresh, to rebuild homes, markets, walls for protection and the temple to worship God in. The breaking of the law was seen as the reason for the exile and so history once again defines culture. We don't want to go through that again. So let's make sure we don't break the law again. And the religious establishment appoints groups of people and councils to define the religious laws better. And where there's ambiguity, where we're not sure, well, what we need to do is apply more law. Half a millennia later, we come to the time of Jesus, who lives in Israel, which is occupied by a foreign empire, the Romans. He lives in a time where Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and experts in the religious law and other groups and committees tell people what to do and how to do it. The observance of the Sabbath made Israel distinct as a nation from all the surrounding nations. It bolstered Jewish identity against all the other nations and it protected them against their assimilation to the other cultures around them. For Jews living away from Israel, keeping the Sabbath was a profession of faith, a national identity marker. So prolific were the rules around what could and could not be done on the Sabbath, that even some of the, the Jewish writers wrote about how um, crazy that seemed. In Mishnah Haggigah, in um, 1 verse 8, it, it is admitted, the rules around the Sabbath, festival offerings and sacrilege are as mountains dangling or hanging by a hair. For scripture is scanty and the rules are many. Pharisees and scribes lived in a world of occupation. The last thing that they wanted to see happen was the destruction of the Jewish nation. 
So to keep in good with God, they create more rules. And with those rules, it also provided the religious establishment affluence, influence, and power. So hopefully now you can capture a little bit of an understanding of why there is such intensity in the minds of the Pharisees that you must keep the rules. You must follow our laws. Into this culture, you have Jesus behaving quite un-Jewish. Jesus and his disciples' behaviour undermines the construct of the religious establishment. In a culture defined by its religious laws, the last thing you want to see is Jesus acting like some um, maverick stirring the pot. On the Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, Why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? The the Pharisees are there wanting to pick a fight with Jesus because he is responsible for their behaviour. Deuteronomy 23, 25 permitted the plucking of heads of grain with your hand, which is what the disciples were doing. But the Pharisees overstated the disciples' behaviour and objected to them harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Jesus contends that while the observance of the Sabbath is good, appropriate and and an important thing to do, lordship trumps law and their interpretation of the law around the Sabbath has placed a burden rather than a sacred time of honouring God with family and friends. Jesus draws a parallel here between his sacred mission and that of David, who would become king. And through David, um, in time, the Messiah would be born. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people, and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man, Jesus referring to himself in that special term, The Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. For the Pharisees, they recoil against Jesus' lordship and instead they hold on to and cling to the law. It's almost as if a trap is set for Jesus in chapter 3. The Pharisees are sitting in the synagogue knowing that there is a man with a deformed hand in the room. Rather than waiting until sunset, as Jesus ought to have done, to usher in the new day as the sun sets, and then, after the end of the Sabbath, to then heal the man, Jesus willingly steps into the trap. And it's almost as if he provocatively trips it. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus had a range of options available to him. But what does he do? Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day 
to save a life or to destroy it. But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. He said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. At once, the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Jesus differentiates himself from those hard-hearted accusers. Good versus evil. Save life or destroy it. Jesus does good and heals. He sees his work, the work of advancing the kingdom of God as saving life. The Pharisees, on the same day, on the Sabbath, go out and plot to do evil, to destroy life. Once again, the Pharisees cling to the law rather than Jesus' lordship. Jesus was never trying to be dismissive of the Sabbath. Instead, he held true to the values of what the Sabbath pointed to, celebrating with others God and his goodness. The law was, um, was, set to, um, was to set God's people apart and to point um, surrounding nations to God. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 and 8, we read this. Look, I now teach you these decrees and regulations, just as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may obey them in the land you are about to occupy. Obey them completely, and you will display your wisdom and intelligence among the surrounding nations. They will hear of these decrees, and they will exclaim, How wise and prudent are the people of this great nation! For what great nation has a God as near to them as the Lord our God is near to us whenever we call on him? And what great nation has decrees and regulations as righteous and as fair as this body of instructions that I am giving you today? The challenge is that people start to lose sight of the reason for the laws. The law was there to be a powerful witness to the Lord God. But the religious establishment, in their thirst for power and control, lost sight of the Lord and held tight to the law. And they plotted to kill Jesus to keep it that way. Jesus highlights this blindness in John chapter 5, which we heard last week. In verses 39 and 40, it says this, You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. The Apostle Paul was a religious fanatic. He had a life-changing experience with Jesus. With it came a conversion from following the law to following Jesus' lordship. In Romans 8, 1-4, Paul says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. 
So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies that we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Paul reminds us that love fulfills the law, and that rather than condemning others, we are called to live in such a way that we help others, we support others, and we care for others. Today, those of us who attend church can easily become unchristian. The culture of church can defy the call to follow Jesus. We can place religious rules on how people dress, the length of their hair, the day and the time that we gather. We can treat this as being more important than worshipping and living under the lordship of Jesus. We can believe that being a Christian is about following laws rather than following Jesus as Lord. We can believe that rules are more important than coming under Christ as our ruler and our king. And it's not surprising, is it? Because our way helps us to feel comfortable. And when people rock the boat, we react and we attack. But today, Jesus reminds us that if we are truly to um, want to enter into the fullness of life that he offers, to live life well, then if we want to do that, if we want to experience good and not evil, if we want to live a save, if we want to live a saved life rather than a destroyed life, then the choice, while not always easy, is clear. Follow the Lord rather than just following laws. As Mark chapter, um, so let me backtrack a little bit. This isn't about anarchy or every person doing their own thing because that goes against Jesus' lordship. As Mark 12, 28 to 31 reminds us, one of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate and he realised that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important, important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one and the one and only Lord. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbour as yourself. No commandment, no law, no regulation, no rule is greater than these. Being a Christian is not about just following rules. It's about following Jesus. But we like rules. Rules keep things in order. And rules have people behave the way that we want. So we're reminded again at this time of year about the perils of being un-Australian. But may we also be reminded more importantly 
from Mark chapter 2 of the perils of behaving unchristian. It's more important to come under Jesus' lordship than to be perfect at following all the rules. And when it comes to other people's behaviour at church, rather than encouraging them to follow our rules, may we encourage and support and, and get behind them and, and challenge them and love them as we encourage them to follow Jesus' lordship and the importance of loving God with all that they have and loving others in the way that we behave. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to delve into your word today. And we recognise that there is a raft of, of history and tradition and culture that influence the environment that you spoke into and that you lived in. And today, we can be guilty of constructing culture that keeps people at a distance from you rather than inviting them to have a personal relationship with you as Lord. Highlight in our lives, highlight in us as a church, the way that our rules can keep people at a distance from you and help us to keep you as number one, to centre our lives around you and your Lordship as we seek to follow you. And may we spur and encourage others to love and good deeds and the desire to have you as Lord of their life as well. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So how might we respond today? Well, there's a few questions that I wanted to pose to you today. And if you've got those response cards or for those at home, if you want to pull up the chat function, you can do that now as well. Are there rules or religious laws that are particularly important to you? And there might be. And that's okay. But have these laws become more important than Jesus' lordship? What are the areas in life that you need to submit to Jesus' lordship? Areas that you want to control that you need to submit to Jesus' lordship in? And how might you encourage others to grow in their following of Jesus as Lord? There's going to be some music played and as that music played, I encourage you to take out those response cards and to respond to the things that God has been saying to you today. Then after that, We'll take some time around the table. God bless you.